This is Dean Mathis, the Director of Capital Ministries, Michigan. Today, I've entitled our Bible study of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18, The Death of Death. Now, I can't think of anything that is more exciting and more needful for the human condition than to know that death has been defeated and how we can appropriate that victory into our own lives. And the Bible tells us that we can do that by being convinced that the good news about Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, is true. That's called faith. That's the Greek word pistuo, which means to believe or to have faith or to put trust in, have confidence in, whatever. But its basic meaning is I am convinced that something is true. It's true in the sense that two plus two is four, etc. It's true. And then I am willing to call upon the name of the Lord, to pray to God the Father in Jesus' name, and ask for this great gift of salvation. There are many mysteries or things that we don't yet have comprehension of or the ability to comprehend, such as the Trinity, how God is one God, yet three persons, and how those three persons function in his providing eternal life for us, both in his experience as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, that's how God has revealed himself to be through the agency of Holy Scripture. So I want us to look at this today because it is a very, very encouraging Bible study on many, many levels. So in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the author of the book of Hebrews points out that Jesus is superior to the angels. Then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which we looked at last time, he gives us a warning about drifting away from full implementation of this salvation that Jesus gives us, that we don't drift away from that, that we fully appropriate it in this life, and that we don't stumble and fall and have consequences in this life because there are great benefits on our day-to-day lives from the salvation that Jesus gives us in the here and now, not to mention the incredible benefits in eternity that stretches out before us. So let's look at this material and gain some really great encouragement from it. In chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, we read these words. We'll begin in verse 5. For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. Now, Jesus and men are inferior to angels in one sense in their humanity, but they are superior to angels in another sense in their humanity because angels are servants. They were not ever given sovereignty over the created order, the earth or the universe, but man was. We lost that because of the fall of man, when Adam and Eve sinned, they chose to go with the devil's rebellious suggestion rather than to stick with God's command. And as a consequence of that, we have lost that authority that we have. But in verse 5, we find out that Jesus has been given authority over the world to come, and that's the messianic kingdom. It won't be ruled by an angel, but by a man, the God-man, Jesus. And then he goes on to back this up with quotations from the Old Testament. But one has testified somewhere saying, What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you're concerned about him? 
You've made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over all the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet for in in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all these things subjected to him. So what is all that about? Well, Jesus has been given authority over the world to come, the Messianic kingdom. And then in verses 6 through 8, we just read, he quotes Psalms chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. And through these quotations, what he's emphasizing here is that though man is lower than the angels, Adam was given authority over the earth, but lost it in the fall. Man at the original creation of man had been crowned king of nature. And Jesus has come back and reclaimed that authority, and he will exercise that authority in the kingdom age, which is going to come right after this particular era that we're living in. In verse 9, we read these words, But we do see him who was made a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In verse 9, he uses the human name of the Son of God, Jesus, to emphasize his humanity. He will someday have sovereignty over the earth and the created order, and he has regained dominion for man. And in that verse, there are five lessons that he teaches. Number one, the recipient of Jesus' humiliation by becoming a human being and dying a shameful death on the cross is humanity. We are the recipients of the humiliation, the coming of Jesus into the world to suffer and die for our sins. The second thing we learn is that during his humiliation, he who was superior to the angels became inferior or lower for just a little while. And the purpose of that suffering was to taste death for every man. Now, the word taste there doesn't mean to nibble on something, but it means to totally appropriate something. And the New American Standard earlier in the verse talked about the suffering of death. Jesus really died. And that's the death of death. Jesus died and then he rose from the dead, providing absolute total victory over death for people who believe in him. He tasted death. He took death for every person who will appropriate it. The motivation for doing this is the grace of God. This came about because God loves us and he wants us to have a relationship with him. The result is that Jesus right now is crowned with glory and honor. And someday we will share that glory and honor. Jesus won back sovereignty to rule by dying. And there are five ramifications of his death that Jesus killed when he died. Number one, physical suffering. There'll be a day when we will have no more physical suffering. Jesus suffered physical agony on the cross. The second thing that he did was he was crowned with glory and honor because of the accomplishment of the cross. And we too will someday be crowned with glory and honor because of his accomplishment on the cross. In this way, he manifested the grace of God as the third thing we learn. The fourth thing we learn is that he really died. He didn't just faint or swoon or something like that on the cross. He really died. And he died a substitutionary death for every person. Now, that doesn't automatically guarantee that every person will believe and be saved, but it is available to every person. Jesus died once for all sin, once for all men, once for all time. So, Jesus is superior to the angels, and man is superior to angels because 
the redeemer is superior to the redeemed, but those redeemed are superior to those for whom no redemption was provided. Now, that's what we're going to look at in verses 10 through 18. We pick it up in verses 10 through 13. Before we get into that, we're told something in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, that in the future, we believers will be judging fallen angels. And we'll be doing that at the end of all human history and all cosmic history at an event called the Great White Throne Judgment. We are co-regent with Christ, and one of our jobs will be judging the demonic And why will God give us that job? Well, because the devil and demons have had a particular role in making life extremely miserable for us and tempting us into sin. And therefore, we will be their judges over them. Even though we are humans, we are redeemed humans if we put our faith in Christ. And we will someday have the authority to judge the demons. We will have the last word. I hope you don't misunderstand this. We'll also have the last laugh over this issue. All right? So... Jesus provided redemption and forgiveness for men. Now, prior to the creation of the universe as we now know it, we're taught in Scripture that the angels were given a period of time where they had the power of contrary choice, just like Adam and Eve were given for a period of time the power of contrary choice in the Garden of Eden and chose poorly. We are told that the devil was lifted up in pride because of the wonderful, glorious creation that he was. And he tried to become God, and he led a third of the angels with him in a rebellion against God. Once that rebellion was quelled by God, the two-thirds that stayed with God were then rendered incapable of sin, and the demons were forever banished from the presence of God in heavenly places. Some were sent to places in, in confinement of the abyss, particularly as throughout human history they committed egregious boundary-breaking sins. Others are involved in being part of the world of the devil's domain as prince of the power of the air. And the devil, we are told, still has access to heaven. And there will yet be, we're told in the book of Revelation, a final conflict in heaven between the fallen angels and between God in which fallen angels will lose. But all of that is to say that Jesus has provided redemption for mankind No such redemption was provided for angels. Jesus did not become an angel and die for angels. But he did become a man and die for man because man is uniquely in a way that angels are not created in the image of God, even though angels are also called sons of God and they are highly intelligent beings. But they are servants. They are not rulers. We are given authority to rule. In verses 10 through 13, we read these things. For it was fitting for him... For whom all things, through whom all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. So Jesus, in becoming a human being and going through the life as a human being, not only as a man, but also as a man, as a Jewish man. Jesus is the only Jewish man that ever lived that kept all of the law of Moses. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so Jesus never sinned in thought, word, or deed in the the general sense or in the specific sense of ever breaking the Mosaic law that God had given. So it was fitting for God, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Now the word there, perfect, means to reach a goal. It doesn't mean that Jesus was never not perfect, but it meant that he finished the course that he was given to provide redemption for man through his suffering, particularly his suffering on the cross. Verse 11, 
For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So Jesus is the sanctifier. He sets us aside for God's purpose by his completed work. And he's brought many sons to glory. Not all, and in, in humanity in general, not all people choose to be saved. And even among the Jewish people, not all Jews exercise faith, both in the Old Testament era or in the New Testament era by faith in Christ. Those who believe are the ones who will be glorified. And so that's kind of what's coming out in verse 10. In verse 11, we find out that he is the sanctifier and the sanctified, that is the believers, are one with him. Let's read that. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus calls believers his brethren or, you know, his kin. In verses 12 and 13, he quotes three Old Testament passages, Psalm 22, 22, Isaiah 8, 17, and Isaiah 8, 18, talking about the fact of this kinship that we now have because of our salvation and sanctification that comes through faith in Christ that God gives us, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him and behold, I and the children whom God has given me. So these quotations from the Old Testament are messianic predictions of the fact that not only when the Messiah comes will he satisfy the requirements of God to pay for the penalty of sin, but he will also, in the process of that, create brethren or kinfolks in the true spiritual sense by rendering them redeemed because of his death and his resurrection. Therefore, since all that's true, then we come to the therefore. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now we get to the theme that I want to talk about, the death of death. Because Jesus did what he did, he has rendered the devil's control over our lives powerless. The devil, after the resurrection of Jesus, no longer has the power to terminate a man's life. Once a person becomes a believer in Jesus, that falls under Jesus' control. Now, there is an exception to that, which we don't have time to get into, which is described in 1 Corinthians 1 through 5, and it deals with an issue of church discipline. But Jesus has taken the authority away from the devil as to the timing of a believer's physical death. Jesus and Jesus alone controls that. He's overcome the prince of death. In verse 14, it says, Therefore, since children share in flesh and blood. The word therefore share is the word koinonia. It's a Greek word that means fellowship. We have a fellowship with Jesus in that we are humans because he became a human being. Also, it says he partook of the same flesh and blood. And that word partook in the Greek language means to be in the middle of something. Jesus really became a real human being even though he was also the second person, the eternal sinless son of God. All right? So he has overcome the prince of death. He is the Messiah, and he will free the believer. Verse 215, and might free those who are through fear of death subject to slavery all their lives. So he frees us from the fear of death by freeing us from death itself. Death 
for a believer is no longer punishment, but is a way of entering heaven. Now that's pointed out in 1 Corinthians 15, 15 and Philippians 1, 21 by the Apostle Paul. So death has been defeated. When Jesus died physically during the three hours of darkness, he had also experienced spiritual death. Then he died physically. Then when he rose from the dead physically, he provides complete redemption, body, soul, and spirit. We are totally redeemed. And if we put our faith in him, according to the Bible, he will give us eternal life. So when a believer dies physically, his or her soul, spirit goes immediately to heaven. Now, he did all this in verses 16 through 18 to help man. Let's read these verses. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels. He doesn't give this kind of redemption to angels, but he does give it freely to us because that is his redemptive purpose. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Now, remember, the primary audience of this epistle was a Jewish audience, but it is applied to all of us because the death of Jesus is universal in its application. Therefore, because of all that being true, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In order to obtain our salvation, and in particular to the people that he's writing to, to obtain the salvation of the sons of Abraham, he had to become like his brethren in all things. Jesus became like all of us, in that he became a real human being. He also became, in particular, like Jewish people because he was a Jewish person, a Jewish man, and that he might be merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. In the Old Testament, there were animal sacrifices provided that had to be officiated over in a specific way by a specific person, the priest, that what was God was doing with that was teaching us something about the nature of salvation itself that required the death of something innocent. And the innocent, of course, being ultimately the Son of God himself. It also required the ministry of a priest, someone who was both God, who, who was man, who could be a go-between between God and man. And Jesus has now become the perfect priest in that he is both man as well as God. And so he is the propitiation. That is, he has fully satisfied the wrath of God. Now, modern man doesn't like that very much. But the truth of the matter is, our sin is a punishable offense. But God has taken that punishment and placed it upon, so to speak, himself in that God in the person of Jesus suffered the punishment of our sins. The wages of sin is death, both physical and spiritual. He suffered that on the cross. Then verse 18, he himself was tempted in that which he suffered. He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus has conquered Satan and Jesus can now sympathize with us. Many, many times in my pastoral work, I have to say to people who are undergoing a particular crisis, I cannot imagine how you feel. Sometimes I can't imagine because I have been through something similar in my own earthly experience as a human being and as a fellow Christian. But sometimes I can't say that and I don't try to pretend I do know. But I am there to empathize and to the degree that I can to sympathize. But Jesus is the only one around who can totally say to you, I know how you 
feel because he has felt everything you have ever felt. And Jesus has taken it all. He has conquered it all. And he gives you a full forgiveness for all of it. And he can sympathize with you. Therefore, we can come to him in prayer and find grace to help in times of need. Let me just close by saying this passage has taught us very clearly that for a person who puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, death is dead. There will yet even be a resurrection and change of the body into a resurrection glorified body like Jesus got when he came out of the tomb. That glorified resurrected Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. And we will join him in glory and co-regency in the not too far distant future. So death for the believer is dead. May God richly bless you.